0: Reading uh, the start of Paul's letter to the Philippians. Okay, so not first Timothy. Let me start by reading the beginning of Paul's letter to Philippi. So he writes to the Philippians, and this is how he begins it. He says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. So he into them. He says to all the saints in Christ Jesus, filled by together with the overseers and together with deacons. So perhaps you're visiting LCPC tonight, or perhaps you've been here for a few weeks and maybe you're wondering uh, how do these people do it in here in this church? Is there a bishop somewhere? Is there other sort of priests kicking about in the corridors here? Do we have wardens? How does it work in this church? Well, what we do in this church is we try to follow what is set out there in Philippians. So we have in this church two offices. And we have the office of overseer or elder. And we also have the second office and that is the office of deacon. Were you here last week? Most of you were here last week, so remember what we did. We looked at the first of those offices. We considered the office of elder. Do you remember the points? We looked at the tasks of the elders. We looked at the traits of the elders the sort of qualifications. And then we looked at the threats to the eldership. Now tonight what we're going to do is the obvious thing, we're going to look at the second of these two offices. So we are going to consider tonight the office of deacon. But before we launch into this, let me say there's a lot in the sermon tonight that deals in a general way with Christian service. Okay, so let's say you're not a deacon at London City Presbyterian Church. Do not panic, do not fear. That there is much that God has surely to say to you tonight in his word in these verses. So with these things said, as we have introduction, I would ask you to please turn with me in the Bibles uh, to First Timothy chapter 3 and to have God's word open in front of you. From verse 8. First thing we'll consider is deacons and Christian service. Deacons and Christian service. Now, while well, we're going to be ambitious here, <laughs> foolhardy and ambitious, I'm not sure. But what we're going to try and do here just now, and this first point, is consider. Not only what deacons should be like, a London City Presbyterian Church and then a New Testament Church, we're also going to try and consider very briefly as well if what a deacon is supposed to be doing, all in this one point. So, what they're supposed to be like and what they're doing. And so, we'll have to do this 100 miles an hour. You have to be with me as we do it. So, let's go. What is a deacon to be like? deacon in the New Testament church well the main idea if you look at 1 Timothy is that he is to be dignified verse they say that a deacon is to be a man worthy of respect look, what does that look like would you say for a deacon to be a man who is worthy of respect, what does it mean, what, is it? what does it look like in here, in, in the church? Well, thankfully we're told, and we're given sort of three ideas here, and when we need to follow these. We see, first of all, that a deacon is to be a man who isn't controlled by his tongue. Do you notice what it says? If you Have a look at verse 8 with me, would you please? Now see a word there, the word sincere. Do you see what it says? It says, deacons likewise are to be men worthy of respect and they are to be sincere. As an, as an epic word. Because the idea behind that word sincere is actually the image of being double-tongued. Isn't that just a, a wonderful sort of idea and image? double-tongued. I think the nearest that we get to that in the English language is maybe the idea of being too faced. So hang on a second. Do you see what what God is saying about deacons in the life of the church? A deacon must be a man who watches his words. He can't be too faced. A deacon can't be one of those people who says something to one person and then the next minute's over here says something else to someone else. No, a deacon's got to be a man who keeps a real tight rein on his speech. That's the first idea. The second idea is that a deacon mustn't be controlled by Drunk, so you'll see that in the same verse. Can't be controlled by booze. Look at it. A deacon must not indulge in much wine. It's it's interesting that it doesn't say. It doesn't forbid alcohol, so it's not saying that that Joey, as a deacon in the church, you can't have. Not saying that you can't have a little bit of wine. Well there's madras, when he's watching England lose in the European Championships, he's, he's allowed to do that. It's, what is it? He can't be given too much wine. So there can't be an addiction to wine. And then there's a third idea. That a deacon can't be controlled by greed. I suppose that's the most clear, it's the most obvious idea for a deacon, that a deacon has to be above reproach when it comes to financial matters. I wonder, are you with me, so far? Like, do you see that the God is setting out some sort of moral characteristics and traits for the diaconate world? Here's the thing, we tend to make, in the New Testament church, we tend to make a lot of mistakes when it comes to deacons and the diaconate. Now, what do I mean by mistakes? Well... Let's say tonight, now, I'll preface this by saying this will never happen, okay? But let's pretend this evening that just now we were going to have a snap vote for deacons. You know, I go into my folder and bring out some some voting forms and I hand them out. Now, this is how sometimes it goes. That we think, like, who are we going to vote for as a deacon? And we scan in our minds, the men of the church and maybe we scan the young guys and we think okay yeah I kind of like him (laughs) and yet he's, he's a friendly guy and he's a bit of a sociable guy I like him and yes and also he seems to be reasonably committed to the life of the church he's got a good job so he's going to be responsible enough for the sort of deacon-type things that deacons do. Yeah, Andy gives a pain. you know, put a, a tick beside that guy's name. Now, I want you to see tonight what we very often miss. That God calls for deacons, not just to be morally upright men. What does he call for? He calls for deacons to be spiritually mature men. Look at it. Look at verse 9. Deacons must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith. That's marvelous, isn't it? Do you see what it means? It means that not just elders... Not just the guys from last week, but deacons too, they have to be spiritually wise. They're supposed to be well versed in scripture, doctrinally competent, and leading that out in a gracious way. Now, well, in light of that, let me say the following things to you this evening. One, can I say the whole congregation, would you please not let that pass you by the next time that we vote? for elders or deacons. See that they are to be morally upright but spiritually mature men. Two, let me say to the existing deacons of London City Presbyterian Church, surely God is giving us food for thought and fuel for prayer in these qualifications. And then Felton the says to the young guys of the church, guys, what do you, how do you envisage the future and your involvement in the life of the church? Like, do you see maybe a couple of years down the line, do you sort of view yourself maybe as serving in the capacity of deacon? Do you see that? Is that how you think? Perhaps. Well tonight, note very well what it is that Almighty God demands of deacons in his church. There has to be a morally upright, dignified lifestyle, but it's more than that, it's bigger than that, it's better than that, there also has to be a Christ-centered, spiritual heart. So we see something about what deacons are supposed to be like. But do you know what I said? We're going to try to be really, ridiculously ambitious and also try and mention just something, a hint, about what deacons are supposed to do in the life in the church. And for this, I need your help. So I would ask you to please pick up your Bibles and turn elsewhere in Scripture. Let's go back... Back to the book of Acts. And Acts chapter 6. Would you do that? Would you turn with me to Acts chapter 6? Acts 6. Just at the beginning of the chapter. Acts chapter 6. Why would you do this? Why would you turn back to Acts? Um, in first Timothy. In first Timothy. Paul does give us insight into what a deacon is supposed to do, the function of a deacon. He does, in 1 Timothy he does. He does so in the name that he gives, or the name that the office is given. What are we dealing with today? What is it called? It's the office of of deacon. What does that mean? It's from the word, root word, to serve. So what is a Deacon. What's a deacon? A deacon's a servant. A deacon's a servant. So we know that, but maybe what we don't know is how. Like a deacon's to serve? then in what capacity? What way is a deacon to serve? Well, in order to answer that, we turn back to the establishment of the deacons here in Acts. So let me read just from verse and this did, and try and picture the scene with whom you can. Verse two. So the twelve apostles, they gathered all of the disciples together. So that is the twelve gathering the whole of the Jerusalem church in front of them. When they said, "It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to do what." What are these deacons to do? To wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men. These are going to be the first deacons. Choose these seven men from among you who are known to be, yeah, look at it, spiritually wise or full of the spirit and wisdom. And we, the spiritual leadership, will, excuse me, turn that responsibility of waiting on tables over to the deacons. And we'll give our attention to what? To prayer and the ministry of the word. Now you got it? I think we're two crucial functions of the deacons in the New Testament church. But one day they were supposed to meet the practical needs of individual Christians. And see what it says to waiting on tables. First of all, there was a number of very, very, very poor people in the congregation in Jerusalem. And it was then the deacon's job to go to those poor people and minister and help these poor people. Now we can take that straight away into London City Presbyterian Church tonight, can't we? can I I ask you as a congregation when you hear about deacons what do you think and what do you picture now do you picture a group of guys who are sitting in one of these rooms making decisions about stuff that has no relevance to their life whatsoever is that how you view it they make decisions about denominational finance and overseas mission stuff but it's got no bearing on your life whatsoever is that how you view it deacons we need to get back to acts chapter 6 we need to get back to viewing our deacons as exactly that as our deacons that huge people in here have material concern or practical need. what do we do about that do you know what we do we go to our deacons and we see if the church can help But we see another function here as well, don't we? We see that deacons in Acts 6 were established to protect the word of God. Look at verse 3. We will turn this responsibility over to deacons so that we, the apostles, the spiritual leadership, will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. We don't have to expand that. The application is absolutely clear. Do you want a picture of a biblical deacon? It's this. A man who is so spiritually switched on that yes, he's dealing with people's practical concern, but he's so spiritually switched on that he's also freeing elders to minister the word to the people of God. That is a biblical deacon. And from the pit of my soul, I say to you, it's for that that we in here have to pray. So we see deacons and we see deacons in Christian service. Okay, another thing that we need to consider tonight is women and Christian service. Women and Christian service. Over the last number of weeks, you've seen what's happened in First Timothy. We've had to wrestle with some things, you know. We've talked quite a bit about the role of women in the church. Now we've seen that for Paul, hands in what was a. A culturally he affirms the equality of women very clearly in 1st Timothy. While he does that, at the same time, he calls for, for, for the church to adhere to God's created order. And so what does he do? He forbids women preachers in the New Testament church. And he also forbids women elders. Does he really say that? He says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over man. So yes, he does say that. A question remains though, doesn't it? Okay, we can accept and see very clearly that this first office of overseer is not a is not for a woman in the church. But does that same restriction apply here to what we're dealing with this evening? Does it? Is a, is a woman in the New Testament church not to serve in the capacity of deacon? And before we look at this, I do need to say this is, this is not theoretical. This is an active issue for the church. Like I know that some of you this evening in here, right now, are good friends with women who are deacons in God's church. And uh, there are Presbyterian, conservative Presbyterian churches uh, in this country. Some don't have female deacons. Some do have female deacons. It's not like this is clear-cut, if you like. It's an active issue. So what does God's word say about it? Well, the problem, if you allow that, is that in verse 11, Paul uses a word that could mean two different things. Like, he could be speaking about female deacons, deaconesses if you want, but he could also be speaking about wives of deacons. So, which is it? Well, I am not. Maybe you'll be really going to hear. I'm not going to go into all the arguments about this tonight and I want to say it's not because I've been a loose about it okay it's not that I'm chickening out of this in any way shape or form it's simply the fact that we looked at this in detail not all that long ago as a church but I do want to throw a few things at you one the use of that contentious word before verse 11 and the use of that contentious word after verse 11, both times, Paul is referring not to female office bearers, but to wives of office bearers. Either side. they you think this? If it is wives of office bearers in verse 11, that fits beautifully with the argument, with the flow of the argument Paul making here. He goes from qualifications of male deacons into qualifications of their wives, into dealing with their kids, and into the management of the household. It fits beautifully if it's not female deacons. And then there's the obvious thing to say like if Paul really here is speaking about this, what would have been an incredibly contentious possession in the first century church, he's really addressing, maybe even establishing female deacons. Do you not think he would made it clear? The language? It would be ambiguous. So I think most likely, most likely, we are dealing with here, not female deacons, but wives of deacons. Now, honestly, you can disagree with me. We can talk about this after the service. Fine, do that. That would be fantastic. But what I want you to see is the real problem. You know what happens with something like this, don't you? You get a contentious portion of scripture, the two sides, they go at it, and they fight about it, and what gets lost? The message of the text is lost. I do not want that to happen tonight because the message is devastating. What are we been told here? We are being told that should a man be married, that for him to qualify to be a deacon in the church, his wife has certain criteria that have to be made. have to be made. Now, we miss that. We will never think about that, do we? The next time that we vote for deacons, we don't just think about the man, we also have to think about his wife. And so, having already spoken to the young men of the church, can I now speak to the young women of the church? you see in this the warning shot that God is firing across your belt? What's happening here? Do you see what, what this means? It means that you can disqualify your husband or your future husband from this form of Christian service. You can disqualify your husband from becoming a deacon in God's church if not If you are of volatile temperament, and if you cannot be trusted, what's the other one here? If you are a malicious talker, what do you think of this? What do you think of. Of this portion of scripture, do you think, oh well, this makes the New Testament a misogynistic section? Do you you think that it makes LCP a chauvinistic place to be? I want you to see it couldn't be further from the truth. You see, throughout the New Testament, the Holy Spirit picks out time and again women for praise because of their service. Time and time again, it is women who are commended for their service. in Jesus, let me prove it to you. Dorcas, Acts 9, she's full of good works, and acts of charity, Lydia. in Acts 16, she's a worker in the Lord. Phoebe, man. Phoebe, Romans 16, commended. It's a great servant of the church. Do you see, it's not. It's not about so misogynistic it's not even that women are stopped from any form of service. It's not that women are prohibited from any form of diaconate work. I stand in front of you as your minister and say, if it wasn't for the women of this church, this place would utterly fall apart. But it is quite simply that the service, the material service of the church, it is to be overseen by men who are appointed by whom? appointed by the women and the men of London City Presbyterian Church. That's it. So we see deacons in Christian service, we see women in Christian service, and we're aimed with a third thing, and that is Jesus and Christian service. I remember in my early 20s, I, I, I did the whole sort of this Sunday lunch thing where you know, after lunch you get an invitation uh, from an older Christian and I went along to, to this guy's house and there was a few from the church went along and uh, I got chatting to this older Christian man and you and could tell just in conversation with him that he wasn't in a good spiritual place really at all and he said to me in conversation, he just said, "Do you know, Andy, the Christian life is one of ups and downs, and it's really one of peaks and troughs." And that might not sound really all that revelatory to you tonight, but by the time my mind was blown, I and mean, I had just become a Christian. And I was just feeling the, the, the veil of Christ Jesus, and I could barely sleep thinking about what it was that God had done for me in Christ. And he was amused that maybe it would not always be like that. Maybe the, the other Christians were, were, were not like that. But the guy was right, was see? he? The Puritan, um, Thomas Brooks, put it like this. He said that the Christian life for some is lived suspended between heaven and hell. Yes, sometimes lived in times of joy, but sometimes lived doubting a very relationship with Jesus at all. And it's that doubt. Paul addresses here, and I'm going to say this, I think this verse that we're just about to look at is one of the most remarkable verses that I've preached on in this church, so I want you to get to it, it's verse 13, Uh, have a look at this. Now remember who he's speaking to, and what he's addressing, he's talking about deacons, Then he says, those who have served well. So those deacons who have served well, what happens to them? They have gained or will gain an excellent standing and great assurance of their faith. Do you not agree with me? Does that not sound like a remarkable verse? Do you see what Paul is saying here? But should a, a deacon... In the church serve the whale and not that it serve the male, then what happens here? God promises to honor that. So if a deacon serves in the life of the church humbly and, and gently and sacrificially, what's the result? What's the grace you're gonna get from that? God will fortify that deacon's faith. Isn't that beautiful? God will actually confirm and grant assurance to that deacon, assurance of the very salvation. I think if you're a deacon in this church tonight, that's a life-changing verse. But I do think we can stretch that principle to cover every single one of us tonight who is in Christ Jesus. So, oh, this is how we're going to come in and close. I ask you, are you in that position of that older Christian man? Like, are you in the position that Thomas Brooks uh, described? Are you in a situation tonight where you are doubting, doubting your faith, and doubting your salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ? is there? Well, see, the first and number one thing you must do tonight, not tomorrow but tonight is to cast yourself on Jesus and that means to go home this evening and separate yourself from everyone else and you contemplate this Easter day what it was that Christ did you read again what Christ did and you contemplate the cross and then you separate yourself for fervent prayer and you pray and you pray until you pray it's the same thing isn't there what we learn here We've learned that assurance, surely it comes from sincere, committed Christian service. Are you struggling? Like, are you really, really doubting Then you persevere in serving the Lord? And then the will end with a promise. Maybe you're asking me why do we get a few sermon and deacons, man? I mean, they're supposed to be servants. Why all this attention on deacons? you thinking like that? I hope not. See, how was it our Lord described his own ministry when he came amongst us? What did Christ do? he do? Saved himself. He said, "I have come to deacon. I have come to serve." So tonight and all God over these years, we need to view this office of deacon through the eyes of the one who through His life and His death and praise Him today, His resurrection. He came not to be served. He came to serve. So I ask you, respect your deacons in this place. And you go to your deacons and you use your deacons and you recognize the authority of the service of the church and the deacons. But the last thing we must do is we must pray for the deacons in London City Presbyterian Church. What do we pray for? we pray that they would know greater assurance of their salvation. How? By serving well in Him, the people of God. Let's pray. Lord, tonight we, we ate a corporate worship praising the name of Jesus Christ and thank you for your grace towards us and thank you for your grace that you would use tainted and sinful people in the service of your great name We thank you that you would even pour a grace upon us should we serve well. But we thank you most of all on this Easter Sunday that Jesus Christ, our Lord, he came not to be served but to serve, that he laid down his life. And we praise you that it was taken up again on the third day. We thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, that you are risen indeed. Amen.